So this is our last week looking at Jesus' model prayer, what Christians have called the Lord's Prayer. Throughout this summer, we've been learning to pray from Jesus, listening to what he has to say to us in Matthew chapter 6. And as we've been walking through the Lord's Prayer, we've seen the scope of how it covers the Christian life. What's amazing about the Lord's Prayer is its simplicity. We see earlier in the Gospel of Matthew that our long prayers don't earn us a hearing with God. God cares about our hearts more than he cares about the length of the words that we say. And what I'm amazed at with the Lord's Prayer is that it is something that people from all different walks of life, from all different ages, from all different backgrounds, from all different maturity levels can pray. Kids, you can pray the Lord's Prayer. Many of you have it memorized. Theologians who've been studying the Bible for their entire lives can find peace and comfort in the Lord's Prayer. There is a simplicity there. New believers, you can go here and you can learn to pray from Jesus. And old believers, you can find comfort in these words. But simple does not mean shallow. You can be simple and profound. And what I've been amazed at as we've walked through verse by verse in the Lord's Prayer is to see how much of the Christian life it touches. We begin with reveling in the heights of God's glory. We pray for the breadth of God's kingdom to spread. It comes to particularity and it comes to us as we say, we need our daily bread. Not just human beings in general provide. Lord, me. You see me. You don't just reign above, but you dwell in our midst and you know what I need. We pray for forgiveness of our sins as we go from our needs to the cross of Jesus Christ, where he died in order to pay for those sins. These five verses, for all their, com- all their simplicity, cover the Christian life. And so we should go and we should listen to Jesus over and over and over again, not praying necessarily these exact words, but learning prayer from Jesus. In verse 13, we have Jesus' final request in the Lord's Prayer. And what he teaches us to pray for is spiritual protection. Praying for spiritual protection. Verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Last week, we saw from Jesus that our greatest need is for our souls. We do need food for our bodies, but he gives us one request for our physical needs, two requests for our spiritual needs. And the greatest of those spiritual needs, what Jesus is going to come back to in verse 14, is we need our sins to be forgiven. And that happens through Jesus dying on the cross in our place. As he's teaching us to pray, he knows the cost that this prayer will have. And here's the main point that we're going to see as we look at not just forgiveness of sins, but protection from sinning. We're going to see that a serious view of sin prays for protection from the outside and from the inside. A serious view of sin prays for protection not just outside of us, but protection from the inside as well. And as we work through, we're going to look at three questions. First, what is temptation? Second, how are we tempted? 
And then third, how does God protect us from temptation? What is temptation? How are we tempted? And then how does God protect us? And then we're going to wrap up looking at verses 14 and 15, which in many ways restate what we saw last week. And we're going to look at those as an example of how God protects us from temptation. So first, what is temptation? I remember getting a voice message on WhatsApp from one of our members who was learning a new language. And as they were reading the Bible in that new language, they said, Pastor, I have a problem. The word that I'm learning doesn't have a word for temptation. There's only the word for test. So as I'm learning this, I'm trying to communicate in this new language the difference between a temptation and a test, and I have no words to be able to say that. Some of you, in your mother tongue, that's the way it is. We were doing a Bible study yesterday with some guys from Ghana, and in Twee, there is no difference between the word for temptation and the word for test. The context is what shows the difference. If that's the case, then your mother tongue is actually closer to the Bible than English. Because when Jesus was speaking in either Aramaic or speaking in Greek or writing in Greek, there's only one Greek word. There's not two words for test and temptation. There is one word. And the context of the sentence is what's going to tell you, is this a good thing, a test, or is this something that's leading me away, a temptation? The word here is perasmon, and it can mean either testing or temptation, but what's the difference? A temptation is an enticement or an allurement. You think of like fishing, so you're fishing with bait, right? You're trying to get the fish to bite. It's an enticement or an allurement for us to fail at something. If you are trying to lose weight and you come to church and then you see Krispy Kreme donuts, those donuts have become a temptation for you. You will be tempted not to say no to them. You'll be tempted to eat one and fail in your goal of losing weight. They are a temptation. If you're trying to be productive in your studies or in your work, social media may be a temptation to you. You do a little bit of work and then you check Facebook. You do a little bit of work and you check Instagram. You do a little bit of work and you check TikTok. These are keeping you from meeting your goal of productivity. It's causing you to fail. It's a temptation in your effort to be productive. Spiritually speaking, temptation is an enticement to sin. It is an allurement to disobey God and keep us from following Him as we are called through faith-filled obedience. The Bible makes it very clear that God does not tempt anyone. We're going to be in James 1 a couple times this morning. But James 1 makes this very, very clear. In verse 13, James is writing and he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. The Bible is very clear. The allurement to sin, the draw to fall into failure, it never comes from God. He never tempts us. He is not evil. He cannot be tempted himself. In being perfect, he does not tempt us to evil. But the Bible is equally clear that God tries 
and that God tests people on occasion. The book of Hebrews uses the same word, the verb form of it, peraitso, to describe God's testing of Abraham. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, peraitso, So the same word there, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. God was the one who tested Abraham. He sometimes tests his people, but he doesn't tempt his people. So what's the difference? The difference is the desired outcome. What is the purpose of this event? The goal of temptation is curse. The goal of God's tests is blessing. The goal of temptation is destruction. The goal of trials that God sends into our lives is flourishing. The purpose of temptation is sin. The purpose of God's tests are obedience. God sends trials and tests into our lives in order to produce good in us. This is why just a little bit before verse 13 where James says, God tempts no one. James, earlier in the chapter, says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, there's our word, of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is not evil. He does not tempt us with evil. But in his sovereignty, he sends trials into our lives in order that we may grow and mature and be perfect one day in Jesus. In fact, the exact same act can be both a temptation and a trial, depending on who is the one active in it. Is it Satan? Or is it other human beings? Or is it ourselves? Or is it God and his sovereignty at another level? We see this in the book of Genesis when Joseph is talking about what his brothers did. J- Joseph has been sold into slavery and yet God used that in order to provide for the people of Israel. Joseph's brothers, the text says, meant evil. They meant harm against Joseph. As for you, this is verse 20 of chapter 50, You meant evil against me. But he goes on. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive. God didn't respond to an evil action by saying, I'm going to twist this and turn this. While the brothers were meaning evil in the action, at the same time, God was meaning good in the action in order to bring about the salvation of his people. The brothers really really were wrong. God is not responsible for their wrong. But God purposes that Joseph goes through their wrong in order to bring about the salvation of his people. God does not tempt us, but in his providence he does allow for us to be tempted. And sometimes the test and the trial is the temptation that we walk through, but his purpose for it is good. So if the temptation, if this allurement to sin doesn't come from God, where does it come from? And that's our next question. How are we tempted? There are two types of temptation. There is external temptation, temptation that comes from the outside of us. 
And then there is internal temptation. Temptation that comes from within us. Let's look at them one at a time. External temptation is when we are tempted by Satan or his demons to disobey God. We see this in the second part of Jesus' prayer for spiritual protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some of you may have the NIV Bible. The NIV translates this, deliver us from the evil one. That's a possible translation, and I think it's the correct translation. Jesus is not saying, deliver us from experiencing harm, like help me not be robbed on my way home. He's saying, lead us not into temptation, and I'm clarifying what that means by deliver us from Satan's temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Just two chapters earlier in Matthew 4, what happens? Satan tempts Jesus. And so the connection between the evil one and Satan, I think, is clear. Don't let me, Lord, be led into Satan's temptation to disobey you. Some of us don't think about Satan very often. Many of us from the West, we don't think about Satan. Some of us may think about Satan too often. We blame everything on Satan. Satan, the evil one, is the enemy of God's people. The Bible describes him as an accuser, as a slanderer. That's what the word Satan in Hebrew means. He is the accuser. He seeks our destruction. First Peter describes him as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan is not seeking merely to inconvenience us. He is seeking to devour us. And what is he seeking to devour? What about us is he seeking to destroy? It's not ultimately our bodies. It's not ultimately our earthly comfort. He may destroy those things. Or he may give us more of those things. More comfort. More health. Because what he's ultimately seeking to destroy is our faith in God. He wants us to turn from God. We see this in the book of Job in the Old Testament. Satan does terrible things to Job. He does terrible things to Job's family. He takes away all of Job's earthly wealth. He kills Job's kids. He makes Job painfully sick. But these are not goals. These are strategies. These are tools to accomplish what he really wants. And that is that Job would curse God. This is Satan speaking to the Lord. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. That's what he's after. He wants us to curse God. And so he takes away things from our lives. He hinders us from being able to accomplish what we hope in order to get us to curse God. But sometimes he uses a different strategy. And that is not to take away, but that is to add. 
King Ahab of Israel. Some of you know the story of King Ahab. King Ahab of Israel was one of the most wicked kings in all the land. During his reign, idol worship was everywhere. Prophets were being persecuted. Elijah was being threatened constantly. But when you look at Ahab's reign, there's details in the Bible that show Ahab's reign was one of financial prosperity. Ahab not only reigned for a very long time, but Ahab had enough money that he was able to build a palace made out of ivory. I think Satan used that financial prosperity to have Ahab see Baal is the one who's giving this to me. I'm worshiping Baal and Baal's giving me money. I'm going to keep doing that. And Satan is fine giving money, money, money. Long life, long life, long life. If it's going to mean that Ahab turns away from God. Or King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was given physical healing and an extension of days. And yet he was tempted to pride and puffed himself up. And he ended up falling into that pride to the demise of his people. Christian, Satan is not ultimately seeking to keep you from earthly blessing. He is not ultimately trying to keep you from traveling to another country. He's not trying to make you sick. He's not trying to hinder your plans for the future. Ultimately, He may be doing those things, but there are other times when he may be more than happy to give you all your sinful heart's desires so that you are ensnared and hooked and he knows that he has you. He is after destruction of your soul and he will give you what your sinful desires want if it makes you bow down and worship this world rather than God. And so we pray, as Christians, we pray that God would protect us from spiritual attack. We pray for protection from external temptation. But there is a second kind of temptation as well. And this temptation is far, far more deadly. External temptation would have no effect if it was not coupled with internal temptation. The sort of temptation that comes from within us, our own sinful desires. Our family has two hamsters. I don't know why we have two hamsters. It's because I love my kids. But we have two hamsters. Have you ever tried to entice a hamster to do what you want with a 100 Durham note? It's ridiculous, right? It's like if you gave them the Durham, what would they probably do with it? They'd probably eat it and use it to make their nest. Right? That hamster couldn't care less about the Durham. But if you give it a craisin, a dried cranberry, or a raisin, ooh, all of a sudden they're going to come to you. Because that's what they want. Or kids, what if I promised you that if you cleaned up your room... I would give you, to eat as your reward for cleaning up your room, a bowl full of cockroaches. Would that make you want to go clean up your room and say, yes, please, I can't wait to have cockroaches for breakfast? No. You don't want cockroaches, and so my enticement isn't going to work. You will make your room as messy as possible just so we don't think that you ever cleaned anything up and gave you cockroaches. 
The reason Satan's temptation works is because we want what he offers. We want to sin. Which in a very real sense, what that means is that we, our, we are our own worst enemies. Let's come back to James 1. I said we'd come back to see how this works. We, we read earlier in verse 13 that we shouldn't say when we're being tempted, we are being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So how are we tempted? Well, what James doesn't say is, God tempts no one, but Satan tempts people. He says this, but, this is verse 14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Each person is tempted from within. The reason Satan's attack sticks is because of us. We are tempted by our own desire. Just follow the logic that James lays out. He says, the end result of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. We saw this last week when looking at forgiveness. Sin always leads to death. But how do we get sin in the first place? With desire. Sinful actions come from sinful desires. It gives birth to sin. Our problem is not ultimately with what we do. Our problem ultimately is what we want. We want the wrong things. We are tempted by our own sinful desires. I know I've used this illustration before, but when Laura and I were doing premarital counseling, I'll never forget, the pastor who was there had a water bottle and he took it off, the lid off, and he set it on the table and, and he said, what happens if I were to shake this water bottle? And we answered the way that you probably would answer. Well, if you have a water bottle and you take the lid off and you shake it, what's going to happen? Water's going to come out and it's going to spill everywhere. That's right. That's what's going to happen. Then he said, why would that happen? Well, the answer is, well, because you shook it, right? He said, no. Water comes out because water is inside. If you shake an empty water bottle, what's going to happen? Nothing's going to come out. The reason it comes out ultimately is not because it was shaken but because there was stuff inside to come out. Satan shook Jesus. He sent every attack he possibly could. And sin never came out. Because there was no sin in Christ. Your temptation, Satan's not making you sin. He may be shaking, but he's not ultimately causing you to sin. The reason you sin is because you are a sinner. Stuff comes out. Which leads to our third question. How does God protect us from temptation? How can we get protection from external and from internal temptation? How does he answer that prayer? 
Well, he does this in two ways. He removes the temptation, and then he provides grace to resist the temptation. He can protect us from temptation by removing the temptation from us. He does not allow for Satan to attack us. Satan comes to God, and he says, I'm going to do this, and God says, no. And Satan can't do anything. Satan is not an equal with God. God is not competing with Satan. Satan has to get approval from God. And God says, no, I will not let you touch him. He does not allow for events to enter our lives that would tempt us from faithfulness to God. And this isn't the only bad events like sickness or loss. Sometimes God doesn't allow good events to come into our lives because we would be tempted by them. You may not have received a promotion at work because you would be tempted, if you did receive it, to trust in your riches. That may be what God's doing. We see this at play in Agur, I think that's how you pronounce his name, in Proverbs 30. We read this a couple weeks ago and we looked at our daily bread. Agur says, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of our God. Do you take your sins so seriously that you are willing to pray for financial loss if it means that you would be holy and that you wouldn't be tempted. Agur did. He prayed that he would not have riches lest he be full and deny God. He knew the worst thing for him would be to sin. And so he was willing to forego earthly comfort in order to be right where God wanted him in dependence upon him. As we pray for God to protect us from temptation and deliver us from the evil one, He does that by removing temptation from us. But He doesn't only remove temptation. Sometimes He also provides the grace to resist the temptation. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. With the permitted temptation, God provides a way of escape to endure it. Notice, the way of escape is not not experiencing the temptation. It's not escape by removal. The way of escape comes through endurance in the midst of the temptation. It is by resisting the temptation, by saying no to the temptation. The resisting is the removing. The fleeing is the fighting. And this is why it's so important for us to understand that temptation doesn't just come from outside but it comes from inside of us. You can resist all the outside forces in your life. You can retreat to a monastery, isolate so that you're never surrounded by anyone. You can walk around wrapped in bubble wrap, right? So that you are completely cushioned and completely safe and completely unpenetrable. You can put every internet filter on your computer. And this will mean nothing if you don't put up an internal fight. This is where so many of us go wrong time after time after time. We delete social media from our phones. 
we change our passcode or we have a friend have a pa our passcode to our devices. We count to 10 when we feel angry and let us physically just calm down. We leave the room. But unless we experience a change of desires, we will never resist. We won't ever resist the temptation. We'll reinstall the app. We'll circumvent the software. We'll scroll a little bit more. We'll blow up in anger again. The way that you resist internal temptation is with the power of a better pleasure. The way you resist Satan's temptation is by being able to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in Him. God gives us this taste through His Spirit-empowered Word. God's Word is shot through with promises that help us to fight against the temptation and to fight for faith. And as we meditate on those promises, as we dwell upon them, the Spirit uses them to change our taste buds, to change what we desire. Sin begins to taste bitter as God tastes sweet. Slowly, slowly, we lose our appetite for sin. And then we find ourselves longing for more holiness. The Holy Spirit through the Holy Scriptures changes us and leaves us wanting the things of God more than the things of Satan this world has to offer. Some of you who've tried to lose weight and have successfully done so have shared with me that you actually found your cravings go down when you started saying no to sugar or you started saying no to fatty foods and you found yourself not even wanting those things anymore but wanting the healthy foods. If so, the Lord bless you, and I'm praying for that myself. But what you find is your taste can change. And God does that through His Word. Christian, I know that sometimes it feels like you will never be free from temptation. You will never be able to resist sinful desires. But the reality is that you can if you are in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ resisted to the utmost. He is able to sympathize with us in our weakness because only Jesus knows the full onslaught of Satan's temptation. He is the strongest man who's ever, ever lived because we, every one of us, at some point will crumble. At some point we'll give in and we'll have to repent and we'll grow and we'll, but we'll crumble again. Jesus stood firm to the very end. And this, having conquered sin and Satan at the cross, having paid for the sin that we commit day in and day out, He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. And He pours out His Spirit so that by faith we can put to death the deeds of the body. We can walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. You are not by yourself, Christian. Jesus did not leave you as orphans. He sent the Helper, the Holy Spirit, so that when Satan tempts you to despair, you can look and you can see Jesus knowing He made an end to all your sin and sends His Spirit to be with you in the fight. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. After Jesus closes his model prayer in verse 13, he gives a final warning. 
A warning about the sort of heart that disciples have in their prayers. We looked at this last week. We saw that if we are holding forgiveness against other people, it shows that we haven't experienced God's forgiveness ourselves. Jesus restates this. I think what he's doing here in part is he's showing the center of the Lord's prayer for us is our need for forgiveness. For the glory of God. Here's an example of how we see the promises of warnings of God help us to resist temptation. Listen to verse 14 again. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We can look at this as an example of how to use the word in the fight against temptation. It feels good to be angry at people. Why do we withhold forgiveness? It's because it feels good. We feel justified in our anger. You know how you've wronged me. And when I hold your wrong against you and refuse to extend forgiveness, I have power over you. That feels good. Or... We can have self-pity for ourselves. Oh, woe is me. I've just been wrong so many times in my life, and I just I can't bring myself to forgive people. And it feels good to wallow in our pity. So we're tempted to withhold forgiveness from others. And the consequence of that is severe. So how do we resist? Well, first, we see the natural result of the sinful desire. We see where this desire leads. James 1, sin gives birth, desire gives birth to sin, which leads to death. Where does withholding forgiveness of others lead to? Death. Our sins will be counted against us. Our hard hearts will reveal that they've never been softened by the work of the Spirit, and we will have to pay forever for our sin in hell. All of a sudden, the pleasure that we get from self-pity or from anger, it doesn't taste so good. It's beginning to taste bitter because we see this is a poison that's going to lead to my death. We see the natural result of the sinful desire. Then we see the delight that is available to us in receiving forgiveness from God. We can stand in the presence of our Heavenly Father, clean ourselves, perfectly covered in Jesus' righteousness, experiencing fellowship with God as sons and daughters of the King, calling on Him as Father and experiencing the grace of forgiveness. And our desires are changed. And we want to forgive. We want to extend forgiveness against others. No longer is our desire to hold others' sin against them. Instead, we want to imitate our Father in heaven and show grace. What's happened there? The Spirit of God has taken the Word of God in order to change our hearts. Sin has tasted bitter and grace has tasted sweet. We resist temptation inside and outside. And God's Spirit and God's Word provide a way of escape. And through it, we grow. That trial leads to our blessing. As we experience the goodness of God more and more and more, and we can count it all joy when we encounter trials of various kind. And God delivers us from temptation. And our prayers for spiritual protection are answered. Christian, our sin is our biggest problem. And God, in His grace, has dealt with it 
at the cross for the penalty of sin and through the Spirit and the Word for the power of sin. May we lean on God as we resist and we pray for protection today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who hears us and that we can call upon you and you will hear and you will deliver us. Lord, thank you that you care for our holiness and you made a way for us to be safe forever in Jesus. As we continue to worship you, Lord, we pray that we would delight ourselves in you and that you would give us desires for you so that you will give us the desires of our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.